All right, as we are sometimes want to do, um, let's establish some basic timelines for our readings today because we are going to cover a number of different things. Um, we have some dates memorized, hopefully by now. 722, what happened? Uh, 722 was the fall of not Jerusalem, but the northern kingdom. All right, so that's going to be roughly here. All right. 722, all right. Samaria falls. Sorry. And Jerusalem fell in 586, 587, depending on who it is. All right, Jerusalem falls. Okay. We're going to talk about a number of historical events that are all around these. To also fit in um, another person, just from context here, David is roughly at this point in time. Okay? Roughly a thousand. This would mean the book of Exodus occurs back here. Okay? We're going to discuss three of... um, Three of the Israelites' big oppressors. One of them today, uh, we'll, 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 we'll mention, he'll come up, is Exodus. The other two would be Assyria and Babylon. So if you would turn to Nahum again. We're going to spend most of our time in Isaiah today. Somebody read verses uh, 14 and 15, William. Nahum chapter 1, 14 and 15. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer out of the house of your gods. I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass than you. He is utterly cut off. Okay, thank you. And so, um, verse 1 of Nahum, what, who is this prophecy against? Nineveh. Nineveh. Okay. So, therefore, on this timeline, all right. We need to put Nahum somewhere. All right, where is he going to belong? Who defeated Samaria? The Babylonians took Jerusalem. The Assyrians, Nineveh, capital, Nineveh mean their capital there. So Nahum, all right, is going to roughly be here. Okay? After the fall likely after the fall of the Northern Kingdom, but certainly before Nineveh's destruction. All right? So Nahum is about, essentially, uh, the protection of Judah all right, from the Assyrians and the, the destruction of the Assyrians. Now, there's two main things out of that reading that we're going to see again all right, in various places. 
and that is one, the promise that the unrighteous will no longer come into the city. All right, you'll see this also in Isaiah. The wrong way to read this is to say, I think in Isaiah it says the unclean will no longer, you know, come into the city. The wrong, the wrong way to read this just is to say, well, there will be no more unbelievers in Jerusalem. All right, because, well, we know there were. Also, when it talks about uncleanness, all right, when it talks about unclean later on, well. When you're unclean, that doesn't necessarily mean you're wicked, right? Um, like, for example, if, you, if, you, if, you, if a loved one of yours dies in the Old Testament, and then you touch that dead body, you become unclean. doesn't mean you're wicked. That just means you become unclean. And so there would certainly be unclean people in Jerusalem, and always will be according to the Old Testament law, because people will die there and people will have to touch their bodies. This is specifically a statement, not about total purity of all the people in in the city. It's a statement of this particular oppressor, this wicked oppressor, they will not march into your city. That's what it's really about in Nahum. The Assyrians will not actually come into Jerusalem and take it over they're actually going to be defeated. And in fact, they were. So that's the context of Nahum. If you would turn to Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah is more tricky in terms of timing because you've ultimately got two different time frames. Isaiah chapter 10. If we start in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5, Isaiah is saying here, Woe to Assyria, same nation, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my fury. All right? And so we see through this and various other things that Assyria attacking the northern kingdom is not actually Assyria's plan. This is God's plan. God intended for the Assyrians to be the rod of his anger and the staff of his fury. Against a godless nation I send him, verse 6, and against the people of my wrath I commanded him to take spoil and seize plunder and to tread down tread them down like the mire of the streets, but he does not so intend, and his heart does not so think, but it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. For he says, Are not my commanders all kings? Is not Kalno like Carchemish? Is not Hamath like Arpad? Is not Samaria like Damascus? As my hands have reached to the kingdoms of the idols, whose carved images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her idols as I have done to Samaria and her images? Shall I not do to Jerusalem, it says there, as I have already done to Samaria? Okay. At the beginning of Isaiah, you've got a context that's roughly around here. Because you might recall, Isaiah the prophet goes to the king, and the king's all worried. Isaiah's like, 
you don't have to worry about the northern kingdom attacking you. Because I'm, God is sending someone to destroy them, and it is in fact Assyria. And so this is the context of Isaiah 1-39, through 39, for the most part. It's either before the, the Assyrian invasion of the northern kingdom, or after the Assyrian invasion of the northern kingdom. Now if you would turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Here we've got another time frame. Now you've got in verse in chapter 39, I have a subtitle there, Envoys or Envoys from Babylon. And so this is, you know, when, when Babylon is going to be in power, all right? Because Babylon is actually going to be a part of destroying Nineveh um, at their rise. But, so we're, we're, talking, we're talking here-ish, all right? But when you shift over into chapter 40, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A number of years ago, we went through a lot of this material in depth. What you've got here, though, is essentially Isaiah 40 and later. Because the context of this is the return of the Judahites, right? The Judeans, the return of the Judeans to Jerusalem after the fall of Babylon. To whom? Who conquered Babylon? Persians. The Persians, yeah. Cyrus the Great. He was the one who conquered Babylon. And he had a he had a very um, he had, his religious policy was essentially all right. You keep worshiping whoever you worship. Just make sure you pray to them about me, that I'll do well. Fairly typical polytheistic stuff. So the context of Isaiah 40 is here. All right. So when we see verbal parallels, as we're about to see with something from Nahum, keep in mind we're dealing with a different oppressor at this point. Exodus back here. Assyria here, or Egypt as the country, Assyria here, and then Babylon here. So turn to Isaiah chapter 51. All right, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to do a short reading. We'll think about the text. I'm going to ask you a question. And then we'll go to the next section. All right? We're all going to read through this and we're going to understand some flow of context. Isaiah chapter 51, verses 1 through 3. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. 
Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places, and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. All right, so here's my question in this. Why would it refer to waste places and wilderness in Mount Zion? What does that mean? Could that be referring to when the Israelites were condemned to 40 years in the wilderness? I don't think so, because I think it's this more, this, this closer context, right? Because that was, the wilderness would be back here. In this particular context, why would there be wilderness in Jerusalem? People aren't there. Babylon came, tore down the walls, stole most of the people, left Jerusalem in a total mess. So therefore, well, for the Lord comforts Zion, he comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found. So this is a promise of comfort. It's a promise of restoration of Mount Zion slash Jerusalem. Okay, next few verses. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment. And they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen to me, you you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. So this is verses 4 through 8. I'll let you read it again. What's the big idea? You'll see that in various places, like the moth will eat them up like a garment. All right. Judgment for the oppressors. What else? Preservation for the righteous. A focus on God, his strength, the fact that he endures, and others do not. Okay? Verses 9 through 11. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? 
Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Who are the ransomed of the Lord? Israel. More specific. What subset? The remnant. The remnant. Specifically, right, this is the Judeans taken into Babylon and then brought back. Okay. Uh, We're going to, as much as I want to, we're going to skip the dragon and cutting up the sea beast. I want to come back in a few weeks. We'll talk about that, I think. Who who wouldn't want to talk about dragons and sea beasts? You know? (laughs) Verse 12 through 16. I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass, and have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth? And you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy And where is the wrath of the oppressor? He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die and go down to the pit. Neither shall his bread be lacking. I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea so that that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth and have covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. What's the message there? Yeah. Yeah. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? Big deal. It's man. He dies. As opposed to, well, the God who established the heavens and lays the foundation of the earth. And if he says to Zion, you are my people, that's a big deal. As opposed to, Man who dies. All right, verses 17 through 23. Wake yourself, wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. There is none to guide her among all the sons she has borne. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have happened to you. Who will console you? Devastation and destruction, famine and sword. Who will comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They are full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk, but not with wine. Thus says the Lord, the Lord. Or, since there's redundancy here, 
Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, your God who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering. The bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more. And I will put it in the hand of your tormentors, who have said to you, Bow down that we may pass over. And you have made your back like the ground and the street, and like the street for them to pass over. Why does this paragraph start the way it does? Why wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up? Why those words? Are they in captivity yet? They are in captivity. Could it be they've become known to the call of the Lord? Look at the context. And not what comes before, what comes right after. Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up. As if getting as if waking up and standing would be difficult. Or something they must make an effort at doing. Why? What's the image? They've been oppressed and beaten down and lost hope. Yeah. What's the image? What happens when you drink too much alcohol? Yeah. Getting up. Right. Get up, Jerusalem. Wake up. Stand up. Right? Why? They're drunk. But not on wine. Right? You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. Who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. So the idea here is Jerusalem, which has been drinking deeply of God's wrath for years. It's time for a change, all right? Who now drinks the cup of God's wrath? Not Jerusalem. Babylon, right? Exactly right. We're switching. The tormentors, all right? It's like the it's like it's like Assyria before when it talked about Assyria earlier in Isaiah when it talked about Assyria is my rod. I'm going to beat the northern kingdom with my rod, Assyria, right? The image here, I think, is sort of like, all right, who's administering the, the, the cup of the wine of the wrath of God? Babylon, all right? They're, just, they're administering it to Jerusalem over and over and over again. They're drinking. They are drunk. They are on the floor. They cannot stand. You even have that image there at the end uh, of... And I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, bow down that we may pass over and you have made your back like the ground. Like they were walking on them. All right. Babylon. All right. As is the cup that God is using. All right. But now it's turning around. Now Babylon itself will drink the cup of the wrath of God. And Jerusalem will be blessed. So therefore they have to wake up, wake up, stand up, because well, they've been drinking entirely too much. Isaiah 52. Now we see some overlap with Nahum. Isaiah 52, 1 through 2. 
Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For thou shalt shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds of, from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Okay, who are the, who, in this case, obvious question at this point. Who are the uncircumcised and the unclean? This isn't a general statement. Who are these people? Babylonians, right? Loose the bonds of your neck. Who's got the bonds? Babylonians. Loose them. The Babylonians, the uncircumcised, and the unclean, all right? The Babylonians will no longer march their armies into Jerusalem. I'm I'm destroying them. Okay? Okay, let's continue on. And by the way, we, we definitely know this is true, right? Were there ever uncircumcised people in Jerusalem after this? Yes. And were they oppressed after this? Yeah. You've got here-ish You've got the leftover of the Greek kingdom that Alexander the Great set up, coming in and sacrificing a pig on the altar in Jerusalem, right? The abomination of desolation. You've got that. Then you've got the Romans coming in, all right, under Pompey, where they, they have to go in. And then, of course, later, AD 70, you've got the Romans coming in again under Vespasian, all right, and Titus. So you've got the unclean and the uncircumcised, with armies trampling over Jerusalem later. So this is not about, this is not saying Jerusalem is forever going to be okay. This is specifically a statement about the Babylonians. Alright, verse 3 through 6. Oh, and just to point out, you know, that's that verse 1 there, for you shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. It's the same idea that we had in Nahum. Same basic idea. It's a judgment against the oppressor. Okay, verses 3 through 6. For thus says the Lord, You were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there. Oppressor number one. Okay. And the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Meaning the Assyrian, the Assyrians oppressed Judah, but they lost, I think is basically the meaning there. But that would be oppressor number two. Okay. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing, their rulers wail, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. And so this is talking about delivery from the, second, the third oppressor. All right. So this is, when we're talking about oppressors of the people, right? We've got, we've got the exodus, all right? We've got the exodus out of Egypt as the number one oppressor, right? Then you've got Assyria and Babylon. 
Egypt and Babylon both come up as oppressors in the book of Revelation. Right? It's pulling on this long history of oppression. I don't think it ever mentions Assyria. Right? But it does mention both of those there. Now, let's continue. Verses 7 through 10. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. The voice of of your watchmen They lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of Yahweh to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Yahweh has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. We shift context a lot in here. One paragraph, it's talking about God. All right? One paragraph, it's talking about the exiles who are sitting in Babylon. This paragraph, where are we? What's our physical location? Or in other words, where's the watchman standing? And what's he watching? Are they safe in Jerusalem? Yeah. Because here's, remember, the book of Ezekiel, all right, there's a very long vision sequence where it talks about the temple and the presence of God leaving the temple. All right? And the presence of God leaves the temple and goes with his people to Babylon. And so God doesn't leave his people. He goes with the exiles. All right? This is the return trip here. This is your watchman. You've got your watchman in Jerusalem. What's he looking to see? The return of the Lord to, to Zion. As the exiles come back, so does their God. Verses 11 and 12. Depart. Depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Who are we talking about this time? The exiles. We were in Jerusalem. Watching, the watchman watching the return of the Lord to Zion. Now we're, we're back in Babylon. All right? And what would it mean here, who bear the vessels of the Lord? What's that a reference to? Yeah. The accoutrements of the temple, all, all the stuff there, right? When Babylon came and took, they took all that stuff. All right? Now here's the returning Judeans bringing back some of those vessels back to where the temple would ultimately be rebuilt. Because there's, at this point, there is no temple, right? So yeah, so now we're, we're back in Babylon, walking back. 
Don't touch the unclean people, the unclean stuff. Get, get the vessels of the Lord and go back to Jerusalem. Now, God has promised to deliver the people of Judah at this point from Babylon. All right. This does not mean that the people of Judah are in their this vigor and strength. Actually, they're quite beaten down at this point, right? They, are, they have been drinking the wrath of God. Now, God is going to deliver them and bring them back. In that context, read this next section. Verses 13 through 15. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. And so you've got the servant. Now, Jews, from what I understand, tend to read this as a reference to Israel. All right? And when I think of, we know ultimately this, this is Jesus. All right? And I think one of the signs that this is Jesus and not really Israel, or it's talking about Israel but pointing towards the real Israel later on, all right? One of the signs is there's things about this that you can't, I don't think, don't fit Israel as a people but do fit Jesus. But still, it's an image. All right? Jesus represents Israel. All right? And is going to be the one who's going to suffer for them. But here in this particular context, in terms of the Babylonian captivity, what's the state of Judah? Well, in verse 14, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Judah's beat up. Judah's in bad shape. All right? Continuing on. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You've got the same image, all right? You've got the same thing of Judah, despised, rejected, a man of sorrow, all right? This whole idea of why, and one is from whom men hide their faces, and he was despised. Why would he hide your face? Because they, they don't want to look at this guy. He's just so beaten up, all right? So this is Judah, all right? This is Judah coming back, sort of. All right, because Judah coming back certainly did not carry all of the sins on him. That was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Go back to verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? If you would turn to Romans chapter 9, 
And we'll read this, but we'll not discuss it today because we have a meeting soon. But this is for you to think about, for us to discuss next Lord's Day. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 11 is a long, is a long discussion of Israel, the state of things. Right? A lot of it's about Israel's apostasy. The fact that not all of Israel has recognized Jesus. Verse 14 of chapter 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. A quote from Isaiah that also shows up in in Nahum. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? That's a quote from Isaiah 53, verse 1. And so Paul, all right, we're here now. Here's Paul drawing on these same ideas, all right? These same ideas that we've seen in Nahum, all right, and that we've seen in Isaiah, all right? And we know he's quoting Isaiah in this particular case rather than Nahum because he specifically says, and Isaiah said, right? And it's got a verse there that's in Isaiah that's not in Nahum, all right? So Paul, interestingly enough, is reflecting back on this and Isaiah reflecting back on that. You've got this history of ideas. When God is talking to his people, you want to, why do you want to see the feet of the messenger? Well, it's not really about their feet. Who cares about their feet? The idea is a messenger running with good news to the city. That's what you want to hear. You want to hear a messenger coming and saying, Assyria, not going to defeat you. Or, whew, Judah, returning from exile. Right? Or something else in Romans, which we'll talk about next week. So let's pause at that point. Uh, any questions before we break to go next door? You'd have to do something like, okay, maybe the the we is all of Judah, even those who are back in the land, and the him is specifically the exiles. But I agree, it doesn't it doesn't work. This is this is clearly about Jesus, and we also have the New Testament going. That's about Jesus, right? Not just about Israel. So yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's pause here. Let's be dismissed. And uh, we'll go have a men's meeting and maybe a little time of fellowship before we 
reconvene next door. I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you for this time. Bless us as we reflect on Scripture. Bless us as we read and think and as we pray. And help us read these things rightly. Help us in our deliberations. Help us in our singing. Help us have joy as we sing. Help us do all these things well in an honorable manner. Bless us, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.